Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the days of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They went and took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And God will add his blessing to this reading of his word. Amen. As uh, most of you know, David, uh, while he was our, our intern, was preaching through John, but he never got to this part. And uh, no fault on, his, on, on him. He ran out of time, just as uh, those of you have, have a long memory, Mark Wheat, when he was our associate pastor, he was preaching through John, and he never got to the end either. <clears throat> so I thought it would be okay for me to visit this passage of the triumphal entry from John. Uh, It's been a while since I covered it. And um, even though it's similar to some of the words of Matthew that we looked at not too long ago, nevertheless, to see John's presentation of this particular event. And uh, there are four events in John 12. The first is the anointing at Bethany. The second is this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The third is Jesus is sought out by Greeks. They wanted an interview with him. 
And um, the fourth is the rejection of Jesus by the Jews at the end of the chapter. And following this is the uh, wonderful upper room discourse by Christ in John 13 to 17. John's the only one that gives us that kind of detail of the things that were said and done in the upper room. So that's a wonderful passage. But we're going to look at the first two pieces of what happens in John 12, the anointing in Bethany and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And there's something that's very important for us to keep in mind to help us keep, have a, a larger perspective on all that's happening. And that is that this historically is the time when the Israelites would bring their lambs that they were going to use for the Passover feast. And they would bring their lamb to the priest and get the priest to examine the lamb to see if it was without blemish and without spot. Because uh, according to the Old Testament law, the lamb used in the Passover had to be uh, a perfect lamb. And so what we see in John 12 uh, in, the, in what happens to Christ and what he does himself is what we have is Jesus being presented as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He was presenting himself as that perfect Lamb, that Lamb without blemish and without spot who would bear our sin in his death on the cross. And so as we look at some of the specifics of what's going on here, keep in mind that broader perspective that all of this is directed to presenting how Jesus was presenting himself as the lamb for the sacrifice. And the first event is the anointing at Bethany, preparing him for his death. And as we look at this particular event, there are four groups of people that help us to think about it and to examine ourselves in the context of what's going on. Uh, The first group are the curious if we back up a little bit as well into the last couple of verses of, of John 11. So in John 11, verse 55, it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up, to the, uh, up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. And they kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given, had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. And so the, the, uh, the time of the Passover was uh, one of the great festivals, one of the great feasts of Israel. And many people gathered at Jerusalem, Josephus in one place said there were as many as three million people that came to Jerusalem. So if we accept that at face value, that is a lot of people anywhere, but in that little community of Jerusalem to have vast crowds. But the thing about these crowds are the first group that we're looking at, they're, they're the curious. You know, they have no interest in Jesus certainly is not as the Messiah. They had no interest in, in trusting in him and believing in him. 
But they were curious about him. They'd heard the the stories about the miracles. They had heard, you know, about all that he had done. And he was a famous sensation among the nation, all the rumors and the the gossip and the stories. And so they're wondering, is he going to come? You know, there's something about us in our humanity that uh, we get fascinated at times when famous people come around. And we kind of crane our necks to get a look at them. Unless you want to pretend you're not interested and you say, well, I'm not going to look under any circumstances and I'm not going to be influenced by culture. But most of us, if someone famous is coming by, you know, we're kind of crying. We're curious. What do they look like? What kind of person are they? Uh, We may not want to have dinner with them, but nevertheless, we're curious. What do they look like? Well, that was the the vast number of people that were coming to Jerusalem. They were the curious. There are many people who are curious about religion or curious about Christianity. It's not that they want to learn about it to believe in it. It's It's not that they want to really embrace it, but they're curious. And it's a good question to ask ourselves, are we curious? The second group of people are the committed And when we begin in the the first few verses of chapter 12, Jesus arrives at Bethany and there's going to be this dinner. And the dinner was given in his honor. And there were three people there, Martha, that that are pointed out, Martha, Lazarus, and Mary. Another gospel writer tells us it was the home of Simon the leper. Maybe that's a relative or a friend. But at any rate, in this home, where Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, were at that time living, they were going to have a a meal, a a banquet uh, um, that they were going to host in Jesus' honor. And these three people are committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They love him and desire to serve him. And so we see, first of all, Martha, and we're told here, briefly that she was serving. Now this story is quite a bit different than the story that we find in Luke chapter 10. And you remember in that story, uh, Martha is serving, Jesus and his disciples are at the home and Martha is serving, but we're told about her on that occasion that Martha was distracted by all the preparations. In other words, it wasn't something she was doing Uh, with joy, uh, the weight of it, and it was a burden to her at that moment. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet, and she said, you need to tell my sister to start helping me. And Jesus said, no, she's chosen the better thing. I'm not going to take that away from her. And it's better in the sense of not just that she was sitting at Jesus' feet, but she was taking the role that God had provided for her to sit in devotion to Christ. You see, it's wrong to make the implication that serving is a bad thing. Serving in a practical way is not a bad thing. The problem with Martha in the earlier instance was she was distracted by that. It's quite different here. 
she's serving. That's her ability. That's her gift. That's her, but she's doing it with delight. It's not wrong to prepare a meal, to make a casserole, to bake some bread and to take it to a friend. That's not an evil thing. But it would be an evil thing if you're grumbling the whole time you're doing it. But you do it out of love. It's a wonderful gift. An elder friend of mine in the San Antonio church, I remember him telling me, uh, some time ago when, that we were just talking about things going on in the church. And he says, you know, I, I really enjoy getting in the kitchen and washing the dishes. Because it gave him such pleasure to serve other people, to serve the church. And it was a role, it was a role that he could do. And he enjoyed the camaraderie with the other people that were in the kitchen doing that. And it was, it was service practical service but it was done with delight and Martha as a committed follower of Jesus Christ here was serving with delight you had Lazarus reclining at the table here he's gathered in his intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ eating at the table communing with him around that meal and then you had Mary who took this very expensive bottle of perfume and broke it and poured it on Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. Her love and devotion to Christ was so evident. Are you a committed follower of Jesus Christ? The third group that we see is the counterfeit And that's epitomized in the person of Judas. He was part of the disciples. He was numbered among the 12. And so he followed Jesus around from place to place. Uh, We assume that when Jesus commissioned the 12 apostles to go out and preach the gospel, Judas had that commission as well. But here this Expensive perfume is poured out on Jesus and he complains. Well, this perfume should have been sold for a year's worth of wages and the money given to the poor. But as John explains, something he probably learned later, it wasn't because Judas was interested in the poor. It was because he carried the money bag and would dip into it from time to time. And he wanted to increase the amount of money in that money bag. He was a counterfeit. He was a hypocrite. He identified himself with the 12, but he didn't believe in Christ. He didn't follow him. Many speculate, why in the world was he following Christ? Maybe as a revolutionary, perhaps he was hoping that Jesus might prompt a revolution to throw, throw off the rule of the Romans. We don't know uh, whether that was it or not, but at any rate, he claimed to be one thing and he was something quite different. He was a counterfeit. And you and I have to ask ourselves, are we counterfeit? The fourth group of people to keep my C's going are the chief priests who were the conspirators. 
Uh, They were conspiring against Christ. And not only against Christ, but they were conspiring against Lazarus. As we see in verses 10 and 11, they wanted to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. And isn't that amazing thing? Here's someone who had been raised from the dead. And, of course, Lazarus is the evidence of the glory of Christ. And they wanted to get rid of the evidence if they could. But that's such an amazing thing. It's like, a, it's, it's like a wonder, and you want to kill the wonder that's right in front of your eyes? But they were conspirators because they were hostile to Christ. They were hostile to the gospel, and therefore they were also hostile to Lazarus. And they were, they were certainly not in any way wanting to embrace Christ. They were conspiring against him. And so the point of the anointing is in the words of Jesus to Judas, leave her alone. It was necessary that she hold on to this ointment for my burial. Jesus was anointed as the perfect lamb of God who would give his life as a ransom for many. Well, the next event or element of this is the entry into Jerusalem. The people that had gathered for this feast saw that Jesus was going into Jerusalem. And uh, we see all the different records. There's some things we misunderstand about the triumphal entry. One of the things that we misunderstand is to think that it was the people in Jerusalem who were uh, wonderfully welcoming Jesus to Jerusalem. As far as we know, and maybe a few of them got caught up in it, but as far as we know, not a single person from the city of Jerusalem was glad to have Jesus there. Uh, they might have resented any more people coming into town. The people that gathered on this entry into Jerusalem were the disciples were those who had gathered for the banquet or those who were pilgrims coming into the city. And they got wind of the fact that, hey, Jesus is coming into the city. And so they joined the throng. Uh, So it wasn't a welcome. It wasn't a triumph in the sense that the city uh, was celebrating Jesus' arrival. It was the people that were with him who joined in the praise and they didn't under, the disciples didn't understand what was going on. They kind of got caught up in the moment. But it was only afterwards that they come, came to appreciate what in the world was going on that day. And the Pharisees, of course, resented it. What is important for us to understand about this entry into Jerusalem? Uh, the most important thing is to understand that it was Jesus who orchestrated the whole event. It was Jesus that told his disciples where they could find a donkey that he could ride on into the city. It was Jesus that orchestrated everything about the entry into Jerusalem. It was according to his timetable. It was according to his plan, his purpose. It was Jesus in his sovereign lordship that was causing it all to happen. But even for him, 
that day was not a day of unbridled joy. So if we go back to Luke for a moment, uh, Luke 19, uh, just after where we ended in our, in our call to worship. So Luke 19, verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. And they will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem. He sees the city and all the garments are being thrown on the ground. The garments are put over the donkeys riding into town. But he doesn't celebrate and rejoice. He weeps. And his concern here is not for himself. Now, when we get to the Garden of Gethsemane, we're going to see Jesus in his agony, his personal agony, and his prayer to the Father that the cup be taken from him. But here, his concern is not about himself, even though he knows what is ahead for him. His current concern right now is for the people of Jerusalem. Because within a generation, the Roman armies will encircle the city and many will die a calamitous death. And when he anticipates that, he weeps. Here the Messiah, the Prince of Peace, is right in their midst. And they can't see it. They can't embrace it. So Christ isn't overwhelmed with Celebration, he's overwhelmed with grief. Jesus is the orchestrator of the event. He's full of grief at the future of Jerusalem. And it's interesting, uh, we see the way he orchestrates this. He's demonstrating the, the reality, the fact that Jesus is willingly laying down his life. In John chapter 10, Jesus says uh, that I lay down my life. No one takes it from me. This command I've received from my father. He's, he's offering himself as the lamb for the sacrifice. And again, he's doing it on his timetable. The authorities in Israel, they plan to arrest him. They plan to kill him. But what they wanted to do was to arrest him secretly hide him somewhere till after the Passover was done and then put him to death where people wouldn't know. But Jesus forces their hand and makes them crucify him on the Passover as the lamb when hundreds and hundreds of lambs are throughout Jerusalem and throughout Israel were being sacrificed. Jesus was being sacrificed. 
as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. This is what the triumphal entry is all about. It's not a celebration. It's a presentation by Christ himself. He was anointed for the work and then he presents himself as the lamb. And the calling for you and for me is looking at ourselves in the light of this passage and understanding what it calls us to do. We examine ourselves in the light of these people. Are, are you among the curious? Are you, are you among the counterfeits? Are you among those who conspire against the Lord? Or are you among the committed? Embracing him, Jesus presents himself as the lamb. To take away your sin. So the invitation and the calling to you is to come to him. To embrace him by faith. And receive from him forgiveness of sins and the peace of God which passes all understanding. May you and I be among those who receive that and know his peace. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the abundant mercy and love that you have poured out and that the, uh, the, the courage and the, the glory that Jesus demonstrated in presenting himself as the perfect spotless lamb of God. I pray, O oh Father, that for each of us here, we will find ourselves among the committed, that we will love Jesus with all of our hearts and receive from him the, the peace and the mercy and the kindness that he so wonderfully and willingly offers. That our life might be characterized and <clears throat> noticed by the, the peace we have through Christ our Lord. May you do that work in us for the glory of your holy name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.